This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Beyond Politics. I'm Paul Hodes with my co-host, Matt Robeson. And we are broadcast on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live at nhtalkradio.com, and podcast wherever you find your podcasts. You can check out our website at beyondpoliticspodcast.com. Subscribe to our podcast. Become a fan like us. So in recent weeks, there's been an explosion of serious, sober, and genuine media interest in UFOs. That explosion has included a 60-minute profile featuring interviews with military pilots, a long examination, and an article in the New Yorker, write-ups from well-known journalists, even comments from former presidents, Barack Obama, who said, quote, we don't know exactly what they are, unquote. And a number of former members of Congress going public about their own serious attitude about the topic, including, of course, this former member of Congress, that's me, in describing my own strange encounter in a show we did a few weeks ago. It's all expected to peak in June, when the Department of Defense is set to release a report on their investigations into what they call unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAPs. We all know that this can be a challenging topic to discuss. According to Gallup, 60% of Americans believe that sightings can be explained by human activity or natural phenomena. They tend to give any conversation of the subject a very big eye roll. On the other hand, fully one third of Americans say they think that at least some UFOs have been alien spacecraft visiting Earth, and they can easily feel dismissed by discussions that simply wave all this away. So what we set out to do today is to have a serious, open-minded, and thoughtful conversation about a subject that our government is paying real attention to and that deserves to be discussed. Our guest today is Mick West, whose work explaining UAPs or UFOs has been covered in numerous outlets and was extensively described in the New Yorker piece last month. He is the founder of Metabunk.org, a forum that applies rational scientific explanation to a variety of conspiracy theories, and he is the author of Escaping the Rabbit Hole, How to Debunk Conspiracy Theories Using Facts, Logic, and Respect. Mick, welcome to Beyond Politics. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Let's start with the last word in the title of your book, Respect. On your website, you write, everyone deserves your respect until you really understand where they are coming from. It's easy to jump to conclusions about people just because they say something a little strange. But immediately labeling people in whatever way is a sure way of shutting down an honest and open conversation. Sounds a little bit like politics. Polite respect and openness must be the starting point. Help our listeners understand where you're coming from on the topic of UFOs and the approach you take. It, it seems like you're saying that you're open-minded, but respectfully skeptical and very rigorous about rejecting things that aren't true. Is, do we have that right? 
Uh, largely, yes. I think when I'm talking about respect, when it comes to UFOs, lots of people believe in the UFO phenomena as something extraordinary, perhaps even extraterrestrial. And a lot of the people who believe that very strongly are people who have had some kind of experience themselves. And so for them, it's a deeply personal thing. And I think it's not helpful at all if you start out dismissing the entire phenomena. And because these people have had personal experiences, which for them seem to prove that there's something out there. And then there's lots of evidence out there as well that you can't immediately just hand wave away. You've actually got to dig in and look at those various bits of evidence and try to figure out what's going on. And so the people who believe in the, the phenomena often do it, with, do it with what they think is a good cause. And so you need to respect that and not simply dismiss their concerns. Let's also clear up what exactly we're talking about here in regards to these phenomena. You write, unidentified means just that. It does not mean advanced technology. Is there a fundamental misunderstanding on this subject that acknowledging that there are objects in the sky that are not readily explainable doesn't mean the same thing as there are alien spacecraft in the sky? Sure. And those are two extremes uh, on the spectrum of what might be going on. But yeah, when you see something in the sky and you can't identify it, that's really not what most people think of as a UFO. When people are talking about UFOs, or now they call them UAPs, they're more concerned with things that could not possibly have a conventional explanation. If you see a white dot in the sky that's very far away, you know, it could be a bird or it could be a plane or it could be a, a star or something like that. So when people are talking about UFOs, you've got to kind of ask, you know, what are you actually discussing here? What is, what is the actual examples of UFOs that you're talking about? And they will often bring up examples of things that seem to move very, very fast or, or hovered in the sky with uh, no means of propulsion. But yeah, most of the, uh, the UFO reports that you see are, are probably explainable by things like planes and birds and uh, optical illusions and things like that. So when people are really talking about UFOs, they're talking about things that are very difficult to hypothesize an explanation for flying objects. I mean, a lot of the reports uh, or evidence that people cite comes apparently from, from sightings of military pilots who are operating aircraft at a variety of altitudes, who are chosen or trained for their missions in a kind of rigorous and scientific way with, with logic and linear thinking as one of the required characteristics of a good military pilot, checklists, lots and lots of training, lots and lots of very, very calm calm, logical thinking mm -hmm. required to be a military pilot. And apparently a lot of and a lot of the reports or reporting of objects that or phenomena that are, are not explained come from sightings or observations that the military pilots have made and reports over quite a few years. It is, you know, it, it, it seems to me that it's one thing to, to think of the, the folks from New Hampshire who allegedly were, were taken away by aliens 
in their spacecraft, uh, Betty and Barney Hill, and then redeposited back in rural New Hampshire. And it seems to me to be quite another to consider the reporting and reports of trained military pilots. Not, not the military pilots are the be-all and the end-all, but but it it seems to be a wholesale of wholesale different cloth. Do yeah. you do you approach in your thinking the the variety of reports along some kind of spectrum um, of analysis or thought? Uh, sure. Yeah, you've got to kind of look at the source. There are obviously some people who post videos on YouTube who are a little bit kooky and they have rather strange interpretations of what they are seeing. But when you hear someone who is like a sober military pilot giving an account, you have to give it a little bit of a different weight. But military pilots you know, are really, really well trained at doing what they do, flying planes and intercepting other planes and shooting other planes and performing bombing missions and things like that. And they're very good at doing things that are unexpected within that framework. Like if they're in a dogfight and somebody does something unexpected, they, they will be able to figure out what to do next because they're, they're trained to have fluidity and thought in situations like that. But they're really very good at doing things within a certain framework. Uh, the framework of being things that they can actually identify in the air. When it comes to things that are impossible to identify, if there is an object in the air that you don't know how big it is, you don't know how far away it is, and it's something that you've never, ever seen before, it's very difficult to fit that into some kind of existing framework. You can't train someone to observe something that they've never seen before. I mean, because you could, but you know, it's not something that's going to be expected. You don't get training for UFOs. When you become a Navy pilot, you get training uh, for identifying MiGs and, and various other planes like that. You, you get a, a deck of cards that has the cross-section of all the known planes. You don't get a deck of cards that has a cross-section of all the different UFOs that might be out there. So pilots can make mistakes. And there has historically been some research into this where Navy pilots or Navy pilots, military pilots, sometimes make more errors in observations in unusual situations than people who don't have this, this rigorous training. And the theory there is that they, they tend to fit things into a framework that makes sense for them. So if they see something like a, a, a giant tic-tac off in the distance, they think you know, they don't know how big that is because they don't know how far away it is. So their natural inclination is to think it's about the same size as their own plane, about the same size as an FA-18 Hornet. Uh, and then they go with that and then it gets stuck in their head and they start making other mistakes. But yeah, they, you certainly have to think about it differently, but Navy pilots are certainly not infallible. And in some ways they might make more mistakes. So let's talk about some of the observations and evidence that has come from the military, because as you say, we think about them differently because they're coming from the Department of Defense. And indeed, a lot of the attention and the focus that's arisen in the last few years has been because of the releases of these videos. Now, the three most prominent are, are called FLIR, Gimbal, and Go Fast. Now for folks who are watching this on video, we're going to splice in some, some of those videos in here so you can see what we're talking about. For folks listening at home uh, on audio, or especially if you're in your car or out walking, please stay safe, keep driving, <laughs> uh, but you can easily Google this or look it up on YouTube after you're, you're done and you're, you're in a safe place to see exactly what we're talking about. Okay, let's start with FLIR. Now there's what looks like a craft 
and it appears to be hovering, at least to me. What's mm -hmm. your interpretation of that incident? Well, we're looking at, at the start infrared footage, which means we're seeing a, a heat source. And at the very start, we just see a big glare, kind of a star-shaped glare, which kind of indicates to me that we're probably looking at the back side of a craft, like, for example, a, a plane, an FA-18 or similar. And we're looking at uh, essentially the, the, the engines of that plane, and it shows up as a big heat source. It's very far away. And we know that because on the camera, on the, on the screen, we see the camera setting, which is narrow, N-A-R, in the top left corner, which means it has about a one degree field of view, which uh, might not sound particularly uh, impressive, but it, what that means is essentially the equivalent of a 100 times zoom on your conventional camera. You think you get your, your, your little cameras and you zoom in. An iPhone does perhaps two times zoom optically, and you can zoom into about eight times with the digital zoom and it becomes all blurry. But this is a hundred times optical zoom. So it's a really, really powerful zoom lens and it's looking at a tiny little fragment of the sky. So we're seeing something that's many miles away and it's kind of out of focus. It kind of looks like it's hovering, but then if you look above the object itself, you will see some numbers. And one of the numbers is the heading of the camera relative to the plane. And it starts out, I believe, around seven degrees to the right and ends up a few degrees to the left. I think it's four degrees right to eight degrees left. So it's actually moving from left to right. And then the plane that we're in, the plane that the camera's in, is an FA-18 that's going over 300 miles an hour. And so if it was just hovering there, the plane would have been able to fly right up to it. So what we're looking at is some kind of craft that is flying away and a little bit to the left. And it, it kind of just stays in the middle of the screen because the camera is really, really locked onto it. They have these very good tracking mechanisms on these cameras that work very well. If they have a continuous picture of something, they will lock onto it very hard. But there's a few points in the video where you see the craft appear to move. And this has been put forward as being evidence that it's some kind of amazing acceleration, like it's ping-ponging around uh, out there. But if you look at what's actually going on in the video itself, at the times when there's a sudden movement, you see the pilot, the, the, the systems operator, is actually switching between different camera modes. So he's switching from the infrared camera to the TV mode camera, which is a completely different camera, a completely different optical pathway. And at that point, it loses lock on the object. And you see the object kind of continue to drift to the left because the camera is no longer tracking it. And then it regains lock. And this happens a few times throughout the video. There's these changes in the camera or camera movements, and it loses lock, and then it regains lock. And then right at the end of the video, it finally loses lock one more time because it's switched between, between a, a wider angle and a narrower angle. It loses lock. And this time it doesn't regain lock because it's moved off enough to the left and the object just drifts off to the, to the left-hand side. He changes zoom level, which makes it seem like it moves faster, but it's actually moving pretty slowly off to the left. So I think what we're looking at is simply a, a distant craft, probably a plane or a drone that is being tracked by this camera and the operator of the camera is switching the modes a lot and, and losing lock occasionally, and eventually just, just loses, loses lock on it. So I don't think it's anything, uh, it's not demonstrating anything amazing. I mean, it could be something amazing, but what we see on the video isn't actually amazing. Mm, that's really interesting. Well, Paul, do you wanna do gimbal? I, I thought gimbal was was weird looking to my eyes. Do you, do you wanna ask about sure. that one? I mean, 
in gimbal, G-I-M-B-A-L, which is definitely the weirdest looking one, there's an object that looks like it's kind of flying saucer shaped. And the audio of the pilot notes that it's rotating and there's this weird glowing aura around it. What's going on? Well, I think what's going on is it's... It's a difficult one to explain. And this has always been a challenge for me is explaining the gimbal video. It's not that I don't understand what's going on. I know I think I know exactly what's going on, but it's 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 always been a little bit of a challenge to, to say what's happening. I think what we're looking at, and again, we're looking at an infrared video of something that's that's very far away. I think what we're looking at is the glare from the engines. Now it, uh, infrared video is, you know, it's essentially the same as, as, as normal video, except you're looking at heat radiation, the infrared radiation coming off something. So if something is very, very hot, it will appear on this video like a bright light. Now this video is inverted. So what we are seeing is not a bright light, but a black shape in the middle of the object. And it's a black shape that's actually surrounded by white light, which confuses people. They call it some kind of aura and think that's some evidence of uh, space warping. But the, the white light around it is just simply an artifact of the, the image sharpening in the video. This is a common thing, and you see it in all kinds of different thermal videos. You get this white aura around black things or black aura around white things. So I think what we're looking at is a, a distant plane again, and it's the glare from the engines. And if you, you can kind of simulate this yourself, if you take something like a flashlight and you, you shine it at a camera and it's going straight at the camera, you'll get like some kind of type of glare. And I, I'm demonstrating this, this here for the people in the studio, but you won't be able to see it on radio. But you, this is something you can try yourself. You can take a flashlight and just simply shine it at your, your iPhone or something like that. Now, in front of the camera, there is uh, there's a glass window. And I've got a little rotating glass window here. So if I was to take my simulated jet engine and point it at the camera and put a, a glass window inside it, we can see the glass window kind of change the shape of the glare a little. And if I rotate that window, you see that the shape of the glare rotates. Um, you know, like for, it's a little yeah. rotating flying saucer. Right. For, for those of you on radio, we've just had this great demonstration. Mick has held up a lens and behind the lens, he's put a flashlight, one of those small LED, sharp LED flashlights, shined it directly at the camera and turned the lens a little bit. And it looks like a flying saucer, folks. It looks like an unexplained visual phenomena of a bright light that, that is rotating and it has an aura around it and and sort of jet streams coming out of it it's it's a quite impressive demonstration and since you're earthbound in your chair talking to us i know exactly what it is yeah you can see this you can obviously see what i'm doing here but i think what happened in the video is the this was a particular set of circumstances that these pilots were not familiar with what you have to have is uh, a combination of things you need to have a plane flying directly away from you that's far away you have to have an optical system that is creating a glare for some reason, which might be, mean that it's just the focus is a bit out of whack, or it might mean that the front window is a bit smeared. The, the object that I held up to simulate it, the, the glass window, is just a camera filter that I, I just smeared with a tiny little bit of, of my, my finger grease, essentially, the, the grease on my skin. And what I've heard from technicians at least one technician, is that sometimes when the windows in the front of these systems are cleaned, they, they get streaked. 
you can imagine someone is, is you clean a window you don't clean it perfectly you get these little streaks on it and these this can cause diffraction patterns which cause it to to create a shape in the glare now these cameras they, they're called at FLIR cameras it's the advanced targeting forward-looking infrared camera made by raytheon very expensive uh, piece of kit weighs about 800 pounds they 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 follow the target with a series of internal mirrors that point the camera field of view at a particular object. But they also have a very, very large external housing, which is what you see from the outside, kind of you know, rotating up and down and turning around and round. Uh, it's kind of a, a bit like your, your standard pan tilt zoom camera that, that will do that. Now they have, they have a problem because they're only mounted on two axes, which is called gimbal lock, which means they have to perform a rotation or several rotations to correct for that around zero degrees which is what we see in, in the film. It's about zero degrees plus or minus three, where the majority of this apparent rotation happens. So everything kind of lines up with it, uh, it being that. It, it matches what we see in the video. The expectations of, of a rotating glare match up exactly. And I think it's just, it happened to be a set of circumstances that the pilots hadn't seen before and they didn't immediately recognize it. So this third video is called Go Fast. And what I see is this odd bullet-shaped object that appears to be speeding over the surface of the ocean. So how do you explain this one, Nick? Well, it certainly looks like it's going fast, which I think is why they called it go fast. What we see initially is the camera kind of steady and it's just looking at a patch of the ocean and this, this, this thing kind of whizzes into the frame and they try to catch it with the camera and they don't quite manage it. So the camera goes back to being fixed on the ocean and, and then eventually they, they, they kind of catch it and you see the box narrow around the the object and now the camera is following the object and it looks like it's whizzing really rapidly over the sur surface of the ocean you see the ocean going so fast behind it that it's blurred <coughs> excuse me so you know we get this this definite impression that something is moving very very fast and people describe it as being a fast moving object two-thirds the speed of sound just over the surface of the ocean low over the surface of the ocean and the other interesting thing about the video is that it's an infrared video again in this and it's black hot again so if something was hot it would appear as black but the little thing that we see in this video appears as white now that means that it's actually a cold object which means it's not something like a jet it's not something like a drone so it's not something that actually has a heat source it's something that's cold so there's a mystery how could something be very very fast but also very very cold so uh, what you do next is, you can, again, we kind of look at the numbers that we have on the screen. There is a couple of numbers, those three numbers that are quite important. In the bottom left of the screen, we have the altitude of the plane, which is uh, 25,000 feet above sea level. So it's about five miles above the sea. We also have a range number that pops up once we get a lock on the target, and that's the distance to the target. And that's about, I think, 4.4 nautical miles at the start. And then over on the left side of the screen, we have an angle, which is the angle down of the camera from the plane. And that's, you know, say, 23 degrees. So we've got three numbers. Now, from those three numbers, we can do some very, very simple trigonometry. This is essentially um, 10th grade trigonometry. I looked up the syllabuses, and this is 10th grade. And uh, I'm holding up a diagram here, which all it shows is a triangle 
where we have an angle and we have a, a hypotenuse, and then we have another unknown length of the triangle at the other end. And this is very, very simple mathematics. If you've got a triangle, you know one angle, you know one side, you can figure out the length of the other side. So we can figure that out. We do the, the sine of the angle multiplied by the hypotenuse. So it's sine of 23 multiplied by 4.4. And it works out to be around 11,000 feet. So we know that the plane's 11,000 feet beneath us. We're at 25,000 feet, which means that this, this object is about you know, 13, 14,000 feet. I think it's actually 13,000 feet, almost halfway between you and the ocean. So it's not low down. So once you know that, then you can see that if the object, for example, wasn't moving at all, what would you see? You would see the exact same thing that we see in the video. Because the plane we are in is flying very rapidly, essentially at 45 degrees to this object, we would see the camera locked on the object and we would see the ocean, which is two miles behind it, whizzing by because of what's known as the parallax effect which is the same effect you get when, say, you, you're walking along in a moonlit night and you see the moon seeming to follow you. If something is, two things are at two different distances, they appear to move at different speeds and you can get these, these illusions of movement. So you do the math on that, you see that it's, it's not high, you can do more math and you can figure out exactly what range of speeds it could be moving at. And it turns out the actual speed of the object is something like 40 knots about you know 44 miles an hour which is about the speed of the wind at that altitude so you've got something cold and something moving at wind speed the obvious answer is that it's a balloon and probably a weather balloon because it's giving a nice radar return and weather balloons have radar reflectors so it's uh, you once like with all these videos they start out seeing amazing but when you get down into the nitty-gritty and do the math do the science it turns out they need not be amazing and they all have quite reasonable conventional explanations. Even though you can't identify exactly what you're looking at, you can definitely show that it's not doing anything amazing. So I'm, I'm, I'm impressed by your logical approach to these unexplained phenomena and, and your, your answers sound totally reasonable to me and, 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 and perfectly explicable. And, and in a, in a moment, I'm, I'm going to share my own story, which I, which I humorously sort of humorously shared in a broadcast we did a couple of weeks ago when, when we got into joking about UFOs. And I said, well, wait a second, folks, before we start you know, joking. Well, let me let me just tell you my own experience, and it, and it, and it was an experience I had never shared. But I, a preliminary question is: Do you think that there is no possibility, none, that UFOs or UAPs are alien spacecraft or from from somewhere else, or or are you merely saying that that you have been able to? explain uh, everything that you've examined or that you haven't seen any evidence compelling enough to say, I really can't explain that. And, 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 and visitors from somewhere else or some other phenomena could be the answer. Whenever I try to examine a case, I always try to not ever take any possibility off the list of possibilities. I, I generally actually make a list of possibilities and then try to rank it into the order I think is the most likely. So rather than picking one uh, hypothesis and then trying to argue for that particular hypothesis, what I will do is like list multiple hypotheses 
uh, and see which ones seem to be the more likely. Like for example, in the the gimbal video, I think it's it's very likely that it was was a foreign it was actual an actual U.S. plane. It could be a foreign plane. It could be a drone or something like that. But that's with things further down the list. It could be some kind of advanced technology, something from from the U.S. or from another country, or it could be aliens. But these things are things that I would put much further down the list. And usually, the alien, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, I would give a very very low possibility. If you ask in general, do I think aliens have aliens ever visited the planet Earth? That's kind of something that's I don't see any good evidence of it, but the probability of it, I think, is somewhat unknown if you take it over, say, the last you know 10,000 years. But if we're talking about the last, say, 50 to 70 years, you know, since the Roswell era, the evidence doesn't really, in my mind, seem very compelling. There's lots of things that are very low information sightings, very blurry things, or there are eyewitness accounts which sound very high fidelity because the person describes it in great detail. But unfortunately, we know that people's recollections often change over time. And also people's initial perceptions are subject to things like optical illusions uh, and things like that. So with the actual hard evidence that we have, videos and whatnot, I would say there isn't really any very good evidence there. So it ends up being very low down on the list as a possibility. I have, I just, I have, I have lots of questions. Fascinating subject. I'm just curious, how did, how did you come to, to, how did you come to this work, this business of analyzing, investigating, talking about the phenomena that, that so many people have found compelling, but you are, are, are able to explain? Well, I used to be a video game programmer, which meant I, I know a lot about 3D, 3D geometry and uh, how images on the screen relate to a 3D reality. Uh, I was a video game programmer. I was quite successful. I was involved in the, the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater series of video games, which was very popular back in the day. And I kind of uh, retired from the industry fairly young and was working kind of part-time and had a lot of spare time on my hands. And you know what they say about uh, idle hands. I just ended up doing a bunch of kind of random things that I found personally interesting. One of them was learning to fly. And then from learning to fly, I was also messing around on Wikipedia and I found this chemtrails conspiracy theory, which is about the government secretly spraying us with stuff. And that kind of led to other kind of conspiracy theories and things like that. But it also led to a lot of me analyzing, analyzing what we see in the sky, analyzing planes and and, and UFOs, because people would say, you know, there's a UFO spraying chemtrails. And so I would look into what that actually was. And I just kind of got interested in that. And uh, I started a couple of websites and I've got one called Metabunk, which is just a forum where we discuss these things. And I just really enjoy the process of taking a video or even a written or verbal account or diagrams and trying to map that to reality, uh, to the, to not, not to the real world, but to, to the objective world that we can actually measure and see what might it have been. And quite often you can go and you can look up the location and you can look at what planes were flying overhead, or you can enhance the images or just do some calculations. And a lot of the times you can can figure this out. And it's a lot of fun when you do. Well, I got to say, I, I d- desperately want to get to Paul's experience and sort of your interpretation and thinking about that. I will say the Metabunk website is, is really good. It reminds me of the work of the amazing Randy and sort of trying to apply a certain amount of objectivity. And for our regular listeners who may be wondering, wait, don't you usually focus on politics and government? I will tell you that as a congressional staffer, 
you deal with a lot of crossover with the kinds of material that you deal with on your website, people who write to you about chemtrails or even more benign kind of, I wouldn't even call them conspiracy theories, misconceptions, members of Congress don't have to pay anything for their health care. They have a golden parachute when they retire. None of these things are true, but I like your approach of respectfully listening, making people understand that you respect their point of view, you want to understand where they're coming from, and you're willing to present, which is very challenging. It's very hard to do. Here's, here's what I can tell you objectively. Here's something based in fact. Here's where I'm getting my information. I think it's a very valuable public service, and I appreciate your open-mindedness. And with that, I think I've primed and cued Paul long enough. Paul, what happened to you on a lonely country road? And I, I want to hear what Mick makes of this. So uh, this is uh, an experience I had back in the 1980s. I was at the time working in the New Hampshire Attorney General's office. I was an assistant attorney general in the criminal justice division, prosecuting uh, murder cases at the time. And a colleague and I were returning at night, heading south on Vermont Route 5, which borders the Connecticut River. And as we drove along Vermont Route 5, I looked to my left across the Connecticut River over to New Hampshire and saw an object. It appeared to me to be a triangular-shaped object, and it appeared to be quite large. It was separated at some distance from the hills and landscape below it. There appeared to be some kind of light emanating from what appeared to be the bottom of the object. And I said to my colleague who was with me, do you see what I'm seeing? And she said, yeah, let's pull over. So we pulled over and both watched this object, which did not appear to be moving to us. And I, I can't explain to you why I hadn't seen it before, but I saw it when I saw it. And, and as we watched it, it appeared to 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 kind of uh, move away in at at a at a high rate of speed and disappear. It was a, it was very odd to us. That's that's what it appeared to be. And we were both quite shaken by the experience because it was unexplained. And we were sober. We were, you know, I mean, we were, we just saw this thing. So I got back the next day, I got back to my office and, and I, and I was thinking about whether or not I should make some kind of report about what I had seen to somebody to say, I saw something that I, I can't explain it. And what came to my attention, and I forget exactly how it came to my attention, as, as you pointed out, recollections are hazy, but a news newspaper reports from a town close by in Vermont, south of where we were at the time, but say within 10 or 20 miles of where we were when we saw this object. And in it were interviews with residents of the town, including the fire chief and the police chief, who said they saw a large triangular shaped object with 
with what appeared to be lights hovering over their town and then disappearing in 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 a in a kind of you know i mean sort of cliche but the kind of star wars kind of disappearing off into uh, warp speed when when they when they hit the hit the you know go to warp speed on space balls that kind of disappearing where it flies off and you know rapidly into into kind of this it's like a sideways thing where it goes you know flies off off and and i took some comfort from the fact that a vermont police chief and fire chief had seen the same or or described something pretty pretty precisely as i had seen it and i think i i tried to call somebody to make some kind of report and, and then i i i didn't because i thought to myself they'll think i'm crazy they'll 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 think they'll think i'm just some kind of nutcase and i and i and i never told the story and i mean imagine you know i imagine imagine never really occurred to me but imagine running for the united states congress as a former prosecutor and 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 being labeled as that that nut who thinks he saw he thinks he saw aliens I mean, we already had they a did US... an episode of Frasier about that, actually. Well, yeah, we already had a U.S. Senator, Bob Smith, who 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 probably qualified, you know, in in that category. So I didn't want to necessarily repeat that phenomena, but I'm just that was my experience. Well, so yeah. let me ask this question. Let me ask this question. So Mick, now that you've heard Paul's mm -hmm. story, we're not going to ask you to interpret it on the spot, but. Can you maybe give our listeners a bit of a sense of how do you how do you hear an, an account like that and begin to think about how you would investigate it? What would you look for? What what occurs to you? Well, it's very long time ago, so it's quite hard to kind of go back in time and see what was going on in that location at that time. I think what I would do is look at these other accounts and see if we can get some kind of what are the common factors that we we see in the, these accounts and. Look at other stories that are similar. Now, this this account of a giant uh, triangle is actually a fairly common type of UFO sighting. These giant giant triangles, and there's been a number of these giant triangle sightings that have actually been solved, and some after quite considerable time. Uh, and one thing that some of them were shown to be was uh, a blimp, like the Goodyear blimp, for example which flies from location to location, because it's an advertising thing, it's, it sometimes flies from location to location at night, and it has uh, navigation lights on it that appear, depending on what angle you're looking at it, to be in a triangular formation. And it has this kind of irregular coloring on it, so you can't see exactly what you're looking at. And because it's dark, it's very easy to take this combination of lights and shapes in the sky and interpret it as being something more than what it is, because you can't see the overall big you know, cigar shape of the Goodyear blimp, but you can see a light here, a light here, and maybe it's blocking out some stars over here, and there's a light shining down underneath it. So there, there was a case, I don't remember who it was exactly, but it was a guy who said he saw this thing, this flying triangle, like eight years ago, and only recently did he realize that what he saw was 
the Goodyear blimp because you know he he figured out that it was in the area at that time and he he looked at it at night footage of it at night and he recognized it as what he actually saw. So the there are explanations for things that that sound like what Paul has described, but obviously it may well not be the explanation that fits in this case. There could be some other explanation, or of course there could be, you know, some extraordinary explanation. My inclination generally, just based on my experience of looking into these, is that they generally do turn out to be something uh, relatively mundane. And they never turn out to be something extraordinary, but they often turn out to be continued to be unexplained. So we've got this whole bunch of things. A lot of them go into the explained category. None of them go into the solved but amazing category. And, and you get this, this little core of, of things that remain unexplained. So yeah, I mean, you, Paul, you saw something that I can't immediately explain. I could give a few vague hypotheses and they probably won't sound like they fit to you. And if I was to investigate it, what I would want to do is kind of sit down and kind of go over in detail about what you saw like you say you saw an object but does that mean you saw a black shape against the stars or did you see some color in this object or some kind of texture uh, to it was it was it one color on the top or was it like the same color all over things like that and then kind of get into the nitty-gritty I also like to have people draw a diagram of what they saw, uh, if they can remember any kind of context around it. What's the scene? You know, if you're by the river, is there like a, I don't know, a power station here or something like that? And you can say roughly how big it was relative to that. Was there any context? So I start kind of investigating it, uh, but always with the, you know, the, I always treat witnesses as being completely honest about what they have seen. And you know, obviously I think you are relating your story exactly as you remember it now. And that's that's what I go with. I always assume honesty. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. I wish we didn't because it's an absolutely fascinating conversation. And we have, I, I, Paul, I'd say about a million more questions, but we're going to have to wrap it up for our radio and podcast listeners. Mick, thank you so much for walking us through the way you think about this, the way you approach these kinds of questions. Absolutely fascinating. And we really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me.